The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. Credit Suisse posts a much wider loss than expected in the third quarter and unveils its radical turnaround plan, restructuring its investment bank and cutting costs by 15%. As Chairman Axel Lehmann admits, the Swiss lender has become unfocused. You can catch Jeff's interview with the CEO, Ulrich Kerner, in about an hour's time from now. The ECB appears to line up another 75 basis point hike, potentially pushing rates to their highest level since 2009, with regional inflation now under the double-digit mark. Meantime, MetaShares plunged nearly 20% in extended trade, wiping off more than $65 billion in market cap, as CEO Mark Zuckerberg's big bet on the metaverse fails to woo investors. There's still a long road ahead to build the next computing platform, uh, but we are clearly doing leading work here. Um, this is a massive undertaking, and and it's often going to take a few versions of each product before they become mainstream. And let that sink in, Elon Musk appears to close in on a deal to buy Twitter, with banks reportedly putting the finishing touches to financing deals ahead of Friday's deadline as the eccentric billionaire turns up at the Twitter headquarters carrying a bathroom sink. A huge focus on Credit Suisse numbers at this hour, the third quarter numbers crossing and the strategic review, uh, the details also hitting the tape. But the big takeaway message on the headline numbers is that the third quarter net loss has come through much higher than anticipated at 4.03 billion Swissy. The market estimate was sitting around 430 million Swiss francs, so the number very much, uh, much larger than anticipated. The revenue print, 3.8 billion on the net revenue for the third quarter. This is underwhelming. Analysts saw a figure of 3.99 billion. In terms of the CET1 ratio, that has crossed at 12.6% uh, versus 12.5% at the end of June. It is also underwhelming versus consensus that we're sitting at a much higher level of 13.4%. In terms of leverage ratio, this has crossed at 4.1% versus consensus at 4.2%. In terms of uh, what we're seeing, the new strategy and transformation plan, this has been unveiled. The company at the same time revealing that uh, business has been eroded. 12.9 billion Swiss francs in terms of outflow of net new assets. This is a key metric as we take a look at confidence. Don't forget we're hearing about weak client activity, but for the bank to be losing net new assets, this is incredibly disappointing. The company has announced its intention to raise capital with gross proceeds of 4 billion Swiss francs. The uh, other lines just crossing from the business that it will radically restructure the investment bank to significantly reduce risk-weighted assets. So it is taking risk-weighted assets down. The company is saying that the capital raise should support an increase in the third quarter 2022 CT1 ratio from 12.6% to a pro forma CT1 ratio of 14%. So tackling the capital base through that capital raise. In terms of the pre-tax numbers, and this is a guide on the profitability now, the Q3 pre-tax loss of 342 million Swiss francs, 
that is versus consensus of a 432 million Swiss francs uh, figure. So on the pre-tax, there's a slight improvement. So the bank expects to maintain a pre-Basel three re uh, re reform C to one ratio of at least 13% through to 2023-2025. Uh, so that is giving us just a guide as to where it's heading from here. In terms of the cost base, this is where some of the big restructuring changes will take place. The company has uh, fleshed that out today. I think this is quite key on the cost base. It will be reduced by 15% or 2.5 billion Swiss francs. This is uh, to 14.5 billion in 2025. The company uh, effectively talking about um, a reduction on this uh, metric and that is uh, quite key in, in terms of how it will operate. It is taking a series of decisive actions to refocus Credit Suisse around the needs of its clients and stakeholders, plans capital release from exits and a significant exposure reduction from securitized products. This is all the how-to uh, parts here. A headcount reduction of 2,700 full-time equivalent employees or 5% of the group's workforce is already underway. They're talking about uh, the number of employees they intend to operate with. Uh, and so the bank will run with 43,000 uh, full-time equivalent employees by the end of 2025 versus 52,000 at the end of the third quarter today. So uh, that is a fairly steep step down as the bank reduces headcount here. Uh, the integrated model, according to the CEO, will be focused on wealth management, the Swiss bank, as well as asset management. So there's a radical transformation here in terms of where the focus will be. It will allocate almost 80% uh, of uh, capital to wealth management. So that is talking to about where the money will be uh, really redirected, enters into a framework agreement to transfer a significant portion of its securitized products group. Uh, the company also, uh, just fleshing out a little bit more detail here in terms of First Boston is expected to be more global and broader than boutiques, but more focused than bulge bracket players. This uh, future Credit Suisse First Boston divisions attracting third party capital as well as preferred long term partnership with uh, new credit. So it is uh, the investment banks, capital markets and advisories activities will be following a transition period. So there's a lot here to try and unpick at this stage, but those are some of the key headline takeaway messages that Credit Suisse is talking about today. But we will have plenty more on this and we can put some flesh on the bones here away from just these headline comments. On a programming note, Jeff is sitting down with the Credit Suisse CEO, Ulrich Kerner, to discuss the Swiss Bank's third quarter results. Don't miss that interview at 8 o'clock CET. And of course, the detail around the strategy review and that's not the only interview today. We're going to be hearing from a slew of C-suites on the back of corporate earnings, including the Volvo Cars CEO, Jim Rowan, Software Arge's Sanjay Bramawa, Unilever CEO, Alan Jope, as well as the CEOs of Clarion and Capgemini. Now, let's circle back to some of the big uh, central bank news that we'll be crossing uh, the tape today. The Bank of Canada has raised rates by 50 basis points, less than expected, and said it's closing in on the end of its hiking cycle. It has now lifted rates by 350 basis points since March to 3.75%. The central bank, meanwhile, has also cut its growth forecast for 2023 and warned of recession, saying economic activity would be closed to flat in the last three months of 2022 and the first half of next year. 
The European Central Bank is expected to announce its second straight 75 basis point hike today and third consecutive hike overall that would take its key interest rate to 1.5%. But investors will also be watching out for other tightening measures aimed at tackling inflation, including unwinding its almost 9 trillion euro balance sheet, revising its Teltro Bank lending facility and phasing out reinvestments from its asset purchase program. A quick look at how European yields have been perched ahead of the news flow today. 2.12, we've declined here on the 10-year OAT, 2.66 in France, 4.25% just below that level on the Italian paper, and over in Spain at 3.27%. Let's get some more from Germana, who joins us from Frankfurt today. Germana, I've just touched on a couple of the points today. Rates obviously quite key at this stage and where we're heading after this, but of course the Teltro programme and tightening the balance sheet. Just give us a sense as to what you think are going to be the big market facts for the uh, many market participants today. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I think the rate hike at this point is is pretty much penciled in. And we heard it uh, on the sidelines of the IMF. Our, our colleague Jeff spoke to various ECB members, and they seemed to indicate that 75 basis points is what the market was pricing in, and they didn't disagree with that market pricing. So going into today, I would say the focus is more on the language that Madame Lagarde is going to deliver about future rate increases and possibly where that neutral rate could be at some point in the future. Now, if they do hike by 75, basis points today. It takes the base rate to 1.5 percentage points. Markets are thinking maybe they go for another 50, possibly 75 in December, maybe one more at the beginning of next year before pausing a little bit. And this pause is key because it is only after they've reached the end of this hiking cycle that they've indicated that they would start thinking about reducing the size of the balance sheets and going down the the path of QT. So potentially we could be in for an announcement on something to do with the reduction of the balance sheets. Um, the expectation there is that they would begin with something called a passive roll-off of bonds rather than active selling. So not like what the Bank of England are doing. The way they would do it is would let the bonds that are uh, being matured, rather than reinvesting those proceeds, they just would sit on them and not reinvest them. That's one way to get the balance sheet smaller. The other way, of course, is by encouraging banks to pay back some of the Teltro funding that they've already taken out. So Many of these banks would have taken up funding at the ECB at a time when interest rates were negative. As of now, there's a tiny arbitrage window that has opened up because they were able to borrow at negative or even zero in the past and place that money back at the ECB now at positive rates. So there's a little arbitrage, free money for the banks. And politically, that doesn't look very good. So some people are saying that the ECB may go down the route of changing the Teltra terms to make it less appetizing for these banks to continue on uh, with that type of carry trade. So that's a couple of things that we could be watching out for. But I would say that the rate hike itself is pretty much a done deal at 75 basis points. Jamana, thanks for setting the scene. Let's get another voice. And Hetal Mehta joins us, Chief European Economist at LGIM. Uh, Hetal, thank you very much. Hetal, thank you very much for joining us. Now, I just want to get into the rate increases because there's been a big market uh, optimism out there that perhaps we're getting to the point where central banks can start to slow the pace of hikes that we've been witnessing so far, all on a day where we're expecting to get in lockstep the uh, governing council voting for 75 basis points. How significant is the increase today for the ECB to try and bank another jumbo-sized increase before market sentiment turns? 
Now, it's, it's crucial for the for the ECB. Remember, they're one of the last major central banks to start hiking. Um, so they are very much behind the other global central banks. Um, so getting 75 basis points done today uh, will be a crucial signal um, to show their commitment to bringing down inflation, which is still very high. It's in double digits. Um, a lot of um, second round effects are still likely to wash through. So I think it's very important uh, that they underline their credibility um, with a 75 basis point hike today and probably signal um, a bit more to come, as Jumana just said. Hetal, we hear often a lot of commentary that um, the US is still in a fairly resilient shape, but that's quite different to the, the European picture at this stage. And if we are already talking about a European uh, economy in recession, where does it leave the ECB and its ability to continue hiking rates from here into 2023? So I think they do have a clear policy dilemma, um, but given the inflation precedents um, and just how high it is and how high it has been for a long time, I think they have to prioritise that in the near term. They know the recession is all but here, um, and that's why I think they will have to moderate the pace of hikes and ultimately I think they might only get away with um, something slightly north of 2% as a terminal rate early next year um, before they realise that now... Um, the recessionary forces are going to be enough to bring inflation down over the medium term. One of the big topics that has emerged at this decision, one outside the ECB in Frankfurt, by the way, uh, is the size of the ECB's balance sheet. And there is talk that perhaps as soon as today, possibly even December, they could announce uh, the beginning of QT, a reduction of the size of the balance sheet, but with passive roll-offs. In what form do you think the ECB uh, are going to embark on this route? And here we're talking not just about all of the excess reserves that were created by QE, but of course, Teltra funding as well. Um, I think they've got so many different policy options. Um, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly which ones they're going to prioritise. Um, it's quite likely that given that the um, asset purchase programme came to an end, um, that they would uh, maybe allow that one um, to embark on QT or at least the passive roll-off. Um, I think the really important issue uh, that they're facing now um, is on the TLTROs. So banks are able to make sizable profits um, without taking any additional risk. So they've got about 2.1 trillion euros of outstanding loans um, through the TLTROs and they're able to park uh, that money uh, without taking any risk, without lending to the real economy, and they're able to park that at the um, in the deposit facility and earn that interest rate differential, uh, which I think amounts to something in the region of 25 to 30 billion. Uh, when you think about bank profits of around 110 to 120 billion, that's a huge uh, chunk of of bank profits. And I think that optically, the bank of um, the ECB will want to. Um, you know, try and try and reduce that. There are lots of complexities around it. Retrospectively, changing the TLTROs may cause um, some legal headaches, but um, they, they need to find a way of um, preventing that big slug of money just going to banks that aren't putting that money to, to use in the real economy. Mm, and certainly, as we said, the optics are not good on that. A question about uh, your view on, on BTPs, because we've been watching the move higher in yields. We're getting close to four and a half percentage points on the 10-year notes. So far, the Italian government seems to be saying the right things. The Prime Minister Meloni has said that they will respect EU budget rules. 
At what point do you expect the ECB to look to uh, activate this TPI tool, the anti-fragmentation tool? So I think um, we have to we have to wait for significant stress, um, a gradual uptick in yields, in line with um, obviously the ECB's interest rates, but also uh, in line with fundamentals of Italy. So more borrowing. We've just heard yesterday that there may be a little bit more fiscal stimulus on the cards from Italy. Um, I think. For the ECB, they're not going to jump the gun on this. Um, they need to see signs of stress, something dysfunctional, um, and that that's likely to, to be the trigger point. And exactly where that is is unknown. In the past, we would have said BTP spreads of around 250 basis points may be, may be enough. In the past, that's been what uh, appears to have triggered um, them into getting into a room and even devising the, the program in the first place. But I think. Um, we need to see some stress before before they contemplate it. Of course, the election being out of the way uh, is one hurdle cleared, um, which would make the path easier. Hetal, thank you very much for joining us today. Hetal Meta with us, Chief European Economist at LGIM. And thank you very much to Jamana too for bringing us the latest detail around the ECB. But on a programming note, there will be plenty more coverage today of the ECB's upcoming decision later on today. Uh, Jemana will be back and, of course, uh, Juliana here in London too to bring you Decision Time. Coverage starts at 1400 CET. Coming up on the show, we're going to be speaking to the Volvo Cars CEO, Jim Rowan, as the automaker reports a fall in quarterly operating profit. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Okay, look at some of the market action and uh, early on uh, stateside, uh, some uh, downbeat trade on the Nasdaq, 2% down. Don't forget uh, the market having to weather the uh, backdrop of uh, Microsoft numbers and Alphabet. Microsoft, uh, the real underperformer for the major markets, uh, falling right across the board and uh, really the uh, most downbeat stock for the major indices. But uh, the extent of the falls you could see much greater on the Nasdaq than the other major indices. The Dow, in fact, just holding on to a flatline position by the end, uh, calling it positive, fourth positive session, but uh, certainly some downbeat action elsewhere. That is said, we are still trading higher over the course of the week for the major indices. In terms of the underperforming sectors, it was communication services that was the laggard, done 4.75%. So very much battling the headwind of some of the tech earnings that have been out over the course of this week. And Meta is the latest one that we are fielding too. To the opening calls, this is how we are seeing the market set up for trade this morning. Red arrows to the downside. Headline actor, of course, has been Credit Suisse, but a string of other companies reporting this morning. So a lot of earnings reaction to hit the tape at 8 o'clock local time this morning. (coughs) 
Well, speaking of earnings, Volvo Cars says it expects slightly lower wholesale volumes for the year compared to 2021, so long as there aren't any further supply chain disturbances. The automaker posted a third quarter net profit of 2.1 billion Swedish kroner, down from 3.3 billion kroner same time a year ago. Jim Rowan joins us now, the CEO of Volvo Cars. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. And just looking at some of these numbers today, retail sales decreasing by 8% to 138,000 cars. Just give us a sense about the demand story that's been playing out for your business. Hey, good morning. Yeah, actually, demand for the for our products remains incredibly high. Really, the uh, the constraint has came from uh, raw material supplies, um, and and sub and sub tier component suppliers, which has mainly been caused by the the extended lockdowns that we saw uh, caused by COVID uh, from our Chinese supply base. So the demand has remained strong, and you can see that actually uh, represented in our revenue numbers. Whilst eight percent of volumes were down, our revenues were actually up by uh, by 30 uh, percent and and that kind of talks to at least to some extent that talks to the 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 prices that we've managed to increase in the marketplace as well as a, a richer mix across the product line jim if i can just pick up on your points then around production because there have been a series of announcements in recent weeks about disruptions to factories disruption to production now you've got this caveat around the numbers based on no further disturbances but what are you seeing in terms of the supply chain? Because we've just come off the back of a series of updates from semiconductor companies saying that they're worried about demand at this point. Any sense that we're getting some sort of correction in the supply-demand situation that is ensuring you get enough chips to continue production? Yeah, in terms of semiconductors, the semiconductor situation is starting to ease off. It, it, it was, you know, earlier on in the year, in the first and even into the second quarter, it was very difficult to get certain semiconductors even if you were willing to go into the spot market and buy them at a premium. Now, those semiconductors are becoming more available, but you do need to play within the spot market uh, in order to attain some of those. Really, our disruptions have been caused by the lockdowns uh, for our own factories as well as our sub-assemblers um, within China. And that's really been a, been a direct result of the lockdowns caused by COVID. And to some extent, there were some um, lockouts because of the power surges required because of the heat in, in cities like Chengdu, uh, which, which brought down the power grid. So it's, it's these minor disturbances that we're seeing within our supply chain, predominantly in China. Jim, how does this impact new launches? You've got uh, another vehicle coming out uh, soon, what the EX90 due next month. What impact does it have on some of the new vehicles rolling off the production line? Yeah, well, so we'll announce that next year, and that, that's our flagship, uh, that's the brand new fully electric um, EX90 SUV, uh, and we'll announce that in a few weeks' time and, and start to supply that into the markets in the second half of next year. Uh, at this point in time, again, that's a new supply chain, uh, and so we've managed to build up that supply chain robustness from the get-go, um, if you will, and so we don't see supply chain, chain disturbances in those new product launches. Jim, I want to pick up on the demand story again because you mentioned that there is still fairly solid demand at this point, but this is on a day where we're waiting for the ECB to deliver a 75 basis point rate hike. We know conditions are tightening and some economists do believe we are in recession already in Europe. Why do you think the demand story is holding up and what hopes do you have that it will continue for some time despite the macroeconomic backdrop? Yeah, as I said, the, the demand for our products is high, and and that, and that does sound surprising given the, the you know the global inflation rates, given the rising uh, prices of of um, of energy and so on. 
and and of course I keep a I keep a very watchful eye on consumer sentiment to, to to see if that looks like it's going to drop in any way, shape or form. At this particular point in time, we don't see a slacking enough uh, in demand for our products, um, but we're keeping a very watchful eye on that, given all of the the supply chain disturbances as well as um, the other turbulence that's caused by, of course, the inflation and increased costs. Talking about tariffs, there's been a lot of griping from the sector about the unfair nature of tariffs and, and subsidies and uh, some of the, the different treatment you're seeing from China, for instance, as Stellantis is pushing for equal treatment on tariffs for Chinese product arriving into Europe as to what European products receive when they arrive into to China. The same vein in the United States, some are concerned about the Inflation Reduction Act that is supporting American automakers to the detriment of European peers. Do you have similar concerns? Do you think the playing field is too uneven at this stage? Well, I think what happened uh, around global trade, that started to happen three or four years ago. Uh, we started at that particular point in time to, to if you like, re-architect our supply chain so that we could provide, if you like, componentry and manufacturing in region for region. And that's a strategy that we're playing out uh, at rapid speed right now. So we manufacture in Asia and China. We have manufacturing facilities in China. We have manufacturing facilities, of course, in Europe. And in fact, we just announced a, a brand new manufacturing facility that will open up in Europe and Slovakia in a few years time. And of course we have manufacturing in the US. So we try and mitigate some of those, uh, if you like, trade uh, tariff disturbances by manufacturing in region for region. And that, th that includes also large parts of our supply chain. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.